I'm Derek Thompson, longtime writer with The Atlantic magazine on tech, culture, and politics. There is a lot of noise out there, and my goal is to cut through the headlines, loud tweets, and hot takes in my new podcast, Plain English. I'll talk to some of the smartest people I know to give you clear viewpoints and memorable takeaways. Plain English starts November 16th. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Always good to have just a good guy in the show. Someone you, you know, lucky enough to consider a friend, a good guy, but also one of the smartest people in politics and news today in journalism, Jake Tapper from CNN. Welcome back to Black on the Air. Jake, it's so good to see you. It's so good. To, it's so good to see you again, Larry. And, and uh, I've been following your amazing <laughs> career trajectory and it's yes. been it's been quite a sight to behold a lot of it behind the scenes but still amazing well most of my career has been behind the scenes and people you know how it is you know being in what we do people get a false impression of what your life is if they don't see you all the time like right like they panic for you are you okay i'm like guys I'm doing okay. You just don't see me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I would say you're doing okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's fun. I always have fun in what I do. But um, before we start, um, I do have to embarrass you a little bit. Okay. And I apologize for this So as I start. But I just want to tell everybody, I just want to thank you personally, Jake. You, my brother passed away a year and a half ago. And I just want, you don't get a lot of times to acknowledge people in public. You were such a mensch to reach out and mention my brother in there, I have to tell you how much that meant to me and my family. It was huge. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, I have a brother with whom I'm very close and yeah. it was, uh, the COVID era was such a horrible, horrible it era. Really I guess we're still in it in many yeah. ways, but, um, I guess we've just adjusted to it. But in any case, um, I was, it was an honor to, to remember him, uh, on television. No, you were so, you were so thoughtful, you know, you just rarely get gestures like that. I want people to know that we are human beings out here, you guys, people, you know, sometimes you reach out and you just do something personal and it's just, it's just appreciated. So just want you to know that. Well, I'm glad it meant something to you. <laughs> there you go. So I had to embarrass you before we started, but, uh, but so we have a couple of things to talk about. First of all, congratulations on your book. All the demons are here. Thank you, sir. 
Appreciate um, it. It takes place in 1977, a crazy, crazy era years. for our country. Yeah. Yeah. It's very crazy. And it's funny because there's so much that harmonizes with today, as there are in many eras, by the way. And, uh, first of all, how are you still alive? <laughs> you know, how t- are you writing all these books, Jake? How does that happen? It's fun. <laughs> it's, uh, it's honestly like, obviously I'm people like you and me are, are, are wired a little yeah. differently to like constantly being working on something. Um, I think is, is right. something you can relate to. And, uh, so, um, yeah. And these novels are just fun for me. They're just a way to blow off steam and play yeah. with history and, and I'm a history geek, as you know, so researching yeah. here is, or is always fun. You know, this book, I got to like play with Evil Knievel and Elvis know, this and so funny. Studio 54. <laughs> yeah. and where did you grow up there? You, I grew up in Los Angeles. My parents are from Chicago, but I grew up, I grew up in Pomona, not really Los Angeles, outside of Los Angeles. So there was this whole world going on. I was eight in 1977 and I was yeah. uh, in Philly and everything that was going on in, in New York in yeah. that era I was like completely oblivious to because I yeah. wasn't old enough for it or my parents were hiding it from me. Like the son that's of right. Sam serial killer, oh, like that's my terrible. parents yeah. obviously, obviously hiding it from me, but, uh, but to go into this era and play with it and see like the rise of tabloid journalism, the mm-hmm. rise of Murdoch, all this stuff yeah. that is still with us today was, uh, in some ways, uh, fun in some ways, disturbing yeah. as you see, what we're dealing with now. I mean, with Fox, like it's all rooted back to Murdoch, just buying the New York post, you know? Yeah. And your villain is in the book is kind of modeled after, (laughs) after, uh, very much so. You kind of, in your books, you, you, it's, what's fun about it is you have a mix of fictional and non-fictional characters, you know, like Woodward and Bernstein make an appearance in this book, Yeah, (laughs) but yeah, you know, you model the villain after someone as, like Rupert Murdoch, but you're being a little sly, but blatant at the same time. Do you, do you enjoy that kind of mix? Of I things? do, but also it's just like, mm-hmm. it, it allowed me to play with uh, what we're dealing with today with Fox yeah. and just how much they play on fear and rage and, and lie about, especially about like racial politics, but, but uh, other things as well. Mm-hmm. And then it also allowed me to like try to understand Rupert Murdoch to like go into his mm. head. And because, you know, the character modeled after him, Max Lyon is, you know, I wanted to make him like a three dimensional character, somebody that right. people would believe. I didn't want him to like, you know, be twirling his mustache. Sure. Uh, and so like to read about Murdoch and understand his philosophy was, you know, enlightening. And then mm-hmm. once you see it, you know, Murdoch has said that he thinks commercial uh, he thinks uh, news consumer behavior is based entirely on fear or rage. That's mm-hmm. it. Fear or rage. And once right. you see it, you can't unsee it. That's what they do. Not yeah. just Fox, but the New York post. And I mean, they are constantly, it's either fear or rage, fear or rage. And um, at the same time, they're doing things that make news more exciting that I think mm-hmm. probably other people in news media could learn a lesson about or one or two, just in terms of presentation, but the fundamental dishonesty is is just really something to behold um i was older than you at the time i was in high school in 77 and uh to me the movie that really hit me square in the eyes was network you know oh yeah i mean network patty chayefsky's was so like so it both predicted things but from his point of view he was talking about what had already happened he wasn't predicting anything so that's fascinating i'm like oh fuck he says this has already happened you know i can't imagine what he would think of it today and if you go back to network it's brilliant i mean it really taught everything you just said is in that movie yeah 
of just the the corporateness of things, you know, the commercialization of news, how it's transformed the relationship between news and the audience. What is the purpose of it? Is ratings the purpose of it? Is eyeballs? Because even like when you mentioned this character, journalism was making a transition around that time also. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I remember the National... There was nothing bigger than the National Enquirer in the 70s, I, I feel. Totally. And yeah. those tabloids, those supermarket tabloids played uh, at the time an outsized role yeah. in American culture, uh, less so today, although certainly, um, you know, we've seen the results of, uh, of their influence in the, um, in the 2016 presidential race, uh, mm-hmm. with the national Enquirer doing Donald Trump's bidding, uh, yeah. not only with, uh, hiring Karen McDougal, I think American media hired this yeah. playboy, mm-hmm. uh, model that, uh, Mr. Trump allegedly had an affair with. They hired her, <laughs> I, I think, I think in an effort to keep, to keep her quiet. Right. And then, but then also remember they were doing all this stuff, uh, like accusing Ted Cruz's father of being involved in the Kennedy assassination, mm-hmm. just all this stuff the National Enquirer was doing, uh, as a, you know, uh, they were very friendly with Donald Trump and they continue to be. And I think he, David Packer, the head of American media, I think he was deposed in some of these cases. It's just, and, and you're right. Like that era was a huge time for it. And one of the things that I yeah. found when I was doing this research that I, that I didn't know at the time mm-hmm. was that one of the reasons Elvis who died in 77 and his death play is a, is a plot point in the book. I think it was one week, uh, uh, apart from Groucho is something that I remember. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I think so. I think Groucho was like a week later. I remember, Oh, Elvis and Groucho is pretty good. Oh, yeah. uh, but that's so sad for Groucho. Exactly. Because, exactly. But that's like when, remember Farrah Fawcett died the same day yes. as Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, and her, you know, anyway, um, it's just like, she, she deserved more attention. Agreed. But, um, anyway, what was interesting is, so the year before, uh, Elvis died, his father had fired a bunch of his bodyguards, Elvis's bodyguards, and they Mm -hmm. wrote a tell all with Steve Dunleavy. Do you remember him? He was this like, um, Australia. He was a, he was a a Murdoch henchman. He wrote for the New York post. He did like a current affair, I think. Steve Dunleavy. Anyway, he wrote this book, Elvis, what happened with these bodyguards Mm -hmm. that told, you know, this, it was a tell all about how insane Elvis was going and how much much, his drug problems and all that stuff. And apparently it drove Elvis in such a, uh, into such a paranoid tailspin that that's when he overdosed. Hmm. Um, So there is a theory in which you could say Rupert Murdoch and the tabloid journalism of Rupert Murdoch played a role in Elvis's death. Yeah. Ultimately it's Elvis's fault. Obviously he's the one who was taking the drugs and it's not as though anything in the tell all was wrong or inaccurate uh, that I know of, but there is something there about that tabloidization mm-hmm. uh, wreaking havoc on the lives of celebrities in ways that we've seen happen since. Yeah. It's so I'm a big Beatles fan, you know, and you know, when, that quote from Lennon got out of control where, you know, that the Beatles are bigger than Jesus and everything. And when you look at news accounts of like just people in the South, like burning Beatles <laughs> records and everything and how much people just put all their belief in what was written on that page, you know? Yeah. And it took so much, you, it took way more energy. There was no social media or anything to come out and fight anything that was written against you. Uh, in those days, it, it's, it was really a different dynamic, you know? 
Yeah. And as John Lennon learned, there's no, there's no real, and, and we've all learned this on social media too. There's no real room for nuance or sarcasm. None. And uh, I mean, I believe Lennon was being kind of sarcastic about yes, it. Yes. It was an offhand comment to like Maureen Cleave, someone he had a relationship with. Yeah. You know, the Beatles are big, we're bigger than Jesus. We mean, he said, we mean more to kids than religion does right now is what he was saying that rock yes. and roll does, you know, but uh, here's the other thing that I appreciate about your books, Jake. I remember the first one I was geeking out about it. I was telling you is I, I love history too, but what I really love is I kind of made up this term. I call it contemporaneous history, you know, and contemporaneous history are, you know, it's one thing to see way what people were wearing and everything, but what were people talking about? Like, what was the right. joke? What was the joke of the day? Like, what was the reference that everybody got that we wouldn't get today? You know? Right. <laughs> and like, how, how do you go about that kind of research? Cause that, that's a different kind of research and it feels like a little harder sometimes. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's really just a matter of like, I buy these, you know, I buy yeah. a lot of magazines and yeah. there's life book of the year <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Oh, and I wow. just see yeah, yeah. what was going on at the time. And like, I just figure that people are probably talking a lot about what's going on. Like, so mm-hmm. star Wars comes out, right. uh, Patty Hearst is out of prison. And, and, uh, there's a question about whether Jimmy Carter's going to party, pardon her. Um, Saturday Night Fever comes out. Roots is on TV. This is all 1977. The, the, uh, (laughs) the Nixon Frost interviews are 77. And I just try, I just like, well, what, what would I be talking about if I were in this era? Well, this is what's going on, uh, in, in pop culture or politics. So that's probably what people are talking about. And then I just try to have, as you say, like contemporary conversations about, you know, because they weren't, I mean, they weren't cavemen in the seventies. I mean, they had, it was, it was this, and it's all the same debates, right? It's all the same conversations, uh, flash versus substance. Uh, Mm -hmm. can you separate the art from the artist? I mean, these are, these are, we all have these conversations and they're all the same conversations that people have been having forever. And it seems like family is a theme that runs through these books too. You know, you have the same family running through. How's important. Is that like you're doing that consciously or it's something that you just, it's just there. It's just, you know, you want to do that. It's so funny you ask that because literally I was talking about this with my wife last night. Oh, wow. because, because, because the books, all three of them, uh, you know, they, they all get resolved in mm-hmm. none of them is the, ba- are the bad guys all punished and the good guys all victorious in not, right. it's, it's there's some comeuppance and there's some, you know, there's some resolution but bad guys get away with it. Not all of them, but, but a lot of them do in all three books, because that's the world we're in. That's, that's but, real life. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they all end with family. In the first one, it's just Charlie and his pregnant wife, Margaret. In the second one, it's Charlie and Margaret again. Their marriage has been tested, but they have a couple kids at home. And the third one, it's the kids are grown up and it's the, it's the kids and their parents all coming together. And I think that's because that's kind of what I go through every day. Wow. Every day I report on horrible people getting away with all sorts of horrible things. And then I come home and I have this beautiful family and I get to spend time with them. And so like, I kind of, that's, that's comforting at least to me. Wow. Okay. So speaking about horrible people that get away with horrible things, let's talk about your boy Trump. Okay. <laughs> Cause here's what I'd like to ask you, Jake, cause there's so much being thrown at us. And this was a historic week. I would love it if I could ask you questions about each of these indictments. I, I feel like 
people sure. would like some clarity as to what's going sure. on because there's a I'll lot of I'll give you things, my thoughts on all of them. Yeah. That would be great. Cause a lot of things have been thrown back and forth. And, and even for me, and I follow some of this stuff, I get confused as to what's actually being. It's, and it's difficult. It's in your defense. It's difficult Mm -hmm. to keep track. I mean, there hasn't been anybody, let alone a former president uh, being prosecuted by so many different venues at the same time. Even Capone just had the, you know, the FBI (laughs) and the IRS going after him. It wasn't right. Even Nixon would have just had the obstruction charge, but it was pardoned. Right. But, uh, you know, Trump is, he's fascinating in so many different ways, but so this first, let's talk about January 6th first. Okay, okay. So what is Trump actually being accused of? Uh, a few things. There are four charges. Okay. One of them is conspiring to defraud the United States. And that's basically a charge about trying to undermine the election. Okay. Defraud the United States. Okay. And that's by talking about wanting to have Pence stop well, that, but that, but that that's part of it. But also the Pence thing is also about trying to disrupt an official proceeding. So that's okay. a, that's a second charge, disrupting and conspiring to disrupt an official proceeding. And that is about the January 6th accepting of the electoral votes and what okay. he did to pressure Pence, but also to rally the mob to go to the Capitol to stop mm-hmm. the counting. Uh, that That's the allegation. And then, so that's like kind of like a combination of two charges. And then the fourth charge is uh, basically uh, a deprivation of rights. And that is he tried to get votes, legal votes from American citizens to not be counted. He didn't stand in the way of their voting, Mm -hmm. but once they voted, he tried to get their votes not counted. And that's in all of the battleground states, but most especially uh, in Georgia where he called the secretary of state there and said, you know, and put the pressure right. campaign, but also the, all the pressure campaigns he did, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, where he was trying to get legislators and others to overturn the, the will of the voters to the point that he was and even bring calling, their electors back or that sort of yeah, thing. Well, they, and also yeah. the scheme to have an alternate slate of fake electors, right? In every God. state, there was this scheme. And, and the idea was, they would put these fake electors forward and they, the hope was that because there were two different slates of electors, and this happened actually in a previous election in like 1876, I think, uh, mm-hmm. between, I believe it was between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden. I think Georgia had two different sets of electors. It was, it was anyway, the idea was just throw it into chaos. Just say, oh, we mm-hmm. can't, we don't even know who, which ones to accept. And that was the hope that if they had these alternate slates, that Congress and Vice President Pence would say, oh, we don't even know who won. We don't, you know, we have to send it back to the state. So that's this grand scheme. Mm-hmm. And the idea that it didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't a conspiracy. That's that's the argument being put forward by the prosecutor. Um, and, that one you know, seems like a separate indictment than the uh, actual January 6th rally thing. Those feel like two separate accusations there. Well, uh, in a way, yes, because there was uh, um, all the everything he did leading up to January 6th. And mm-hmm. then like, January 6th was almost like a Hail Mary. OK, nothing else <laughs> yeah. has worked. Right. So send the mob in. Um, but by the same token, if you see it all as, well, first, he tried to challenge everything in court. Then he tried everything to challenge everything on the state level. Mm-hmm. Then he tried to pressure state and government state officials to, you know, to just to flip it. Then he tried to like 
create these like fake electors. Then he tried to pressure Pence. And then finally, as a last gasp, he like the mob went in there and tried to disrupt the proceeding. And uh, so, yes, it's separate, but it's also the logical conclusion. It's all connected. How close do you think he was to having that actually happen? Because to me, these things as a student of history, too, I'm fascinated by how quick things can turn. You know, like people point to Rome. Rome was a republic, you know. And it took one man, Caesar, to turn it around, you know, uh, and it and it came from his popularity, basically a war hero, you know. Um, it's funny you say that because I always think of the saying Rome wasn't built in a day, which it wasn't, but it was destroyed in a day. It was flipped in a day. Right. It was. Right. It was flipped in a day. That's right. a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like how close this seems like when you talk about the electors to me, here's what I feel the fear is. And this is what. When I, I have a problem with especially what Fox News has done, and I want to ask you about that a little later, but uh, is when things are questioned and the question is still held that the same weight as a fact. Right. You know, and the question is intended to disrupt and with the weight of facts, but it's still the defense is that it's still a question. Right. I'm just asking questions. Just questions. I'm just asking questions. Right. Just a question. Like Tucker Carlson does all the time. Just a question. I'm just, I'm just, I think it's fair to ask. The premise of the question <laughs> should be rooted in reality. I think that that's, that's, uh, that's important. I, look, the, the question of how close did we, did he come to succeeding? And I, you know, I think pretty close. And I think that, you know, there is credit that needs to be given to mm-hmm. individuals who withstood a lot of pressure, uh, and, you know, whether it is the Republican uh, mm-hmm. speaker of the Michigan House or the Republican mm-hmm. uh, majority leader of the Michigan State Senate, you know, they were pressured. I mean, and it wasn't just individuals like that. It was, yeah. you know, low ranking Wayne County, Michigan, you know, uh, executives, um, wow. just regular folk driving home, getting called by Trump, telling them to turn around and go back and, you know, disenfranchise all of the voters of Detroit. And it, I, I mean, I think that that's what's um, scary about this moment that we're in is that the incentive structure for Republicans right now is not to do what's right and just stand up for mm-hmm. democracy and such, but to lie. Right. And so you have, you know, there are individuals who don't do it. And like, you know, I, I have them on my show all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, or yeah. the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Mike Turner, uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who runs the China subcommittee, the China Select Committee, et cetera, et cetera. But then you have people like Speaker McCaffrey McCarthy, who, you know, just the other day was saying that what Trump did was no different than when Al Gore challenged the results of the election or yes, when Hillary was, Clinton, it was Hillary Clinton, he really said yeah. this and, or when Hillary Clinton questioned whether Trump's victory in 2016 was legitimate because of, you know, the help he got from the Russians or didn't mm-hmm. get from the Russians, et cetera, et cetera. But it's so dishonest to yeah, make that is. argument. And, uh, I don't think Kevin McCarthy I think Kevin McCarthy knows how dishonest it is. And he thinks, well, in order to stay speaker, I need to do this. Um, But it's sad. And the, you know, the best you can say about a lot of these guys is they're not, they're not engaged in the lie. Like Mitch McConnell is not engaged in the lie. 
And you might hate Mitch McConnell, not you, but somebody listening might not like Mitch McConnell, maybe for their his politics or whatever, but he's not lying. And that's the low bar that, that we have now for set for ourselves is if our leaders are not ultimately aiding and abetting this false conspiracy theory about the 2020 election, mm -hmm. uh, then, you know, you give them a, a doggy treat. And um, but that's where we are. So why do you think politics has turned into and even in your book, there's some of this also it's because you even mentioned you have UFOs in your book. <laughs> so like, yeah. But why? Here, I've been fascinated with this, Jake, and I have a theory around it too. Politics, especially, and I'm going to call out the right on this because I, I spend, like you, I call out the left equally. Sure. I think they're wrong. And I appreciate that you do that on the air, you know. But I feel today the right is way more wrong than the left. <laughs> well, they're not. I mean, the left is not. I mean, there was this thing the other day. Some people like, do you remember there were like a bunch of Hollywood celebrities that were like trying to convince electors in 2016 to vote for Hillary Clinton, even though Trump won the election? Sure. And there are people like trying to trying to turn that into the equivalent of, of January 6th. And it's like, I don't even remember that. We didn't no. even cover it. Because they like, don't wield any real power. Yeah. No, right. And I'm, if Martin Sheen was like, you know, issuing videos, begging people to, you know, be begging uh, electors to switch their vote. Okay, whatever. But like nobody took it seriously and it didn't happen and it didn't come close to happening. And it yeah. wasn't. And Martin Sheen, despite, you know, despite all appearances, is not the president of the United States. <laughs> no, he is not. Yeah. And I appreciated when Al Gore made the concession speech as as somebody who likes that type of thing. I like the formality of that. And I thought it was very honorable. And he did it in a timely manner. And it was a brilliant speech, actually. You know, I, I, everybody said if he had spoken like that before the election, it right. probably wouldn't have been so close, you know. So but you're right. This is completely different. But there's like the whole Trump cult thing and it is a cult but people want to believe in conspiracy yeah. like as opposed and I'm, I'm, my theory on this is i don't know if i've shared this with you i always say here's the here's what's behind every conspiracy theory as far as i'm concerned people want you to um they they require evidence for the obvious but they want you to swallow the preposterous right <laughs> you know here's an example of that yeah. Um, teachers during COVID were very afraid of getting COVID and dying. Like everyone Meanwhile, else. parents and students needed to be back in school. Right. Right. And, uh, and kids were not as susceptible to getting COVID as, as adults were, especially adults who don't live healthily. So did teachers unions play an outsized role in keeping schools closed or keeping it, uh, making it virtual. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think there's evidence to that fact. And I think that there's evidence to the fact that it did, it, that didn't need to happen. Right. And did the democratic administration of Joe Biden, because teachers unions are so democratic, capital D democratic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, did they listen to them in an outsized way? There's, I mean, I'm willing to, Politics. hear that argument it seems yeah. reasonable is this all a conspiracy to control the american people and and make students even dumber so that they can be more easily controlled no but the first part of it's you know legitimate to be asking yeah. about i agree it's it's uh i used to say this about trump i'd say you know when trump would say he would start off with talking about something that was real. I would say, Trump's not wrong. He's just so far from right. 
right. you know, and that's how you mix it. They're not wrong, but the distance between not wrong and right, there's a big gulf and it's just a little leap to be not wrong as your starting point, you know? Yeah. And, and like the whole Dr. Fauci thing is so out of control. You yes, know? I agree. Like the they, turned him been... into, they turned him into Dr. Evil basically, you know, and it's all conspiracy theory. Yeah. I mean, and again, yeah. it's the same thing. Like, did the science change? Did the rules evolve? Were we told right. don't buy masks? And then we were told do buy masks. And then we were told, well, only buy these masks. And then we were told, well, maybe masks didn't actually do anything or whatever, uh, unless you have like the N95. Yeah, it was all changing and it was confusing. Right. And I mean, I think you could argue that maybe the medical guidance, not just from Fauci, but just coming from all leaders at the very beginning to not go out and buy masks because they were the government. And this was the Trump administration at the time was so mm -hmm. worried about first responders not getting the masks and them needing them more than the rest of us. Was their guidance maybe uh, not as honestly given? Yeah. It, they were yeah. being paternalistic like they always can be. And they were punished for it because of this extraordinary circumstance of this pandemic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, would it have been better if they said, no, masks protect you, but please don't go buy any because we need the doctors and nurses and first responders to have them. <laughs> no yeah, that probably would have been more honest. And, no it, and you could argue listened. that they lied to us. You could, yes, right. you could argue, but why? Right? Yeah. The why is always the important thing. Were they doing it for ill? I mean, just I, asking a question. Just a question. <laughs> but you know, my point, though, is just like, <laughs> right. as opposed to, so were they trying to kill people? No. I mean, it's just a question. I don't know. People get killed all the time. Why do they get killed? <laughs> we should ask these. I'm saying we should ask these questions. Yeah, yeah that's all I'm saying. The, mo the most, the more insidious one to me is this whole gain of function uh, implication, because they're all yeah. implications, you know, that somehow Fauci is developing this in a lab and is getting paid a lot of money for this, but they need to try it out and see, you know. Is this really going to kill people? And thank God, you know, it's not going to kill a lot of Ashikani Jews. <laughs> That's RFK Jr.'s theory. Right. Oh, exactly. my God. I mean, he you is know, the, and the worst, king the worst thing about that conspiracy theories. Boy, he is really out there. <sighs> and uh, he's never met a conspiracy theory he didn't like. No. And the other thing about him, first of all, he said it, was, it wasn't just Ashkenazi Jews. It was uh, Chinese people. He said, Chinese. Like, is this a bioweapon? You know, there's a study that shows that it doesn't really hurt Ashkenazi Jews and the Chinese. I'm like, are you even remotely aware of how many Chinese people died of COVID? And by the way, none of us are remotely aware because we can't trust the Chinese government to give us actual numbers. Well, we know it's a lot. Right. Right. We because know it's, it's a just lot. mass Thanks. graves. And right. No, you're right. There isn't an actual number. Um, but as an Ashkenazi Jew, let me tell you, we're, we're, we're just as <laughs> we're just as susceptible to, to COVID as anybody else. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it is wild. And that's one that's actually, I think a lot of this stuff started in the seventies mm -hmm. because of not just the Kennedy assassination in, in 63, yeah. but then you have Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King in 68. And then you have all those lies told about Vietnam mm -hmm. by the generals exposed right. by the press in the Pentagon papers. And then you have Watergate. Yep. And that's also one of, so like in, in and not to, I don't want to turn it back to my book for, no, for no, a pluggy no, reason, but like, yeah, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I thought it was an interesting era to write about, because how could you believe anything? 
that the government was telling you in 1977. You're absolutely right. And like I said, I grew up in that period and the biggest one of all is, was the JFK assassination. Yeah. I think Geraldo Rivera had a special, I think it was in 75 over that time where he showed the Zapruder film. And no, a lot of people had never really seen is that it, right? it like that, you know, and it was fat. It blew everybody's mind, you know? And at the time of your 77, I believe maybe 78, the house on American activities had an actual congressional hearing about the Kennedy assassination. Oh, it was the House Oversight Committee. Yes. Oversight Committee where they And Lewis Stokes, I think was the was the I think he chaired it. I know about this. And yes. they did the Kennedy assassination and they did MLK and they did Robert Kennedy. Yes. And and they concluded that there probably was a conspiracy for at least JFK. And that fucked people up. And one of the the evidence that they used they used technology for this. So it wasn't like testimony. They had audio tape that was taken from a motorcycle where the it, it was open at the time, the audio, and it was recorded. And you heard more than three shots, it sounded yes. like, you know, and everybody's like, done. I told you, and I'm like, well, there's a lot of, there's echoes. There's so many like explanations for it. So who knows? It's not necessarily, but even me at the time, like I, you talk about going through a rabbit hole. The eighties was me in JFK rabbit hole, <laughs> every single book that came out, you know? So I had a counselor at camp when I was like 12, so this is 81, who was obsessed with the JFK assassination yeah. and got, he, he, he um, ordered and, and brought to camp, I guess it was like a 16 millimeter copy of the Zabruder film. And we sat in our, this wow. is what we do at Jewish camps in 1981. Yeah. <laughs> and then we sat and watched the Zabruder film. And, wow. and this was back into the left, back into the left, oh, the whole thing yeah. that we saw in the JFK movie. Look, I don't know. I mean, it just, I, I, uh, I did go, I did do a, um, a thing about this in college. I looked at the, at some of the criticism of the Warren report. And I do have to say, those were some really tough shots to get off. They really uh, were. And like a, a, a president from that far away, uh, moving from that, that, uh, that place in the, in the Texas, uh, book depository building you'd have to be a really really good shot a re like a real sniper and i think that there are questions about whether or not lee harvey oswald was talk about going down rabbit holes anyway uh <laughs> I, I but anyway my only point is there's a reason why so many people are so skeptical of the government and it starts with governments yes. lying to the american people for decades and yes, and so it's you can understand fault. why there are people in the trump universe yes who are willing to listen to him and believe him because he i agree he feeds into a legitimate skepticism yes. about what people in power tell us he's not wrong but he's really far from right and where he's really far from right in this is he is selling this idea of corruption in government and lying in government and he's doing it by lying and being corrupt right <laughs> you know? right your government's so corrupt now my uh now my son-in-law jared kushner is going to retire from government and get two billion dollars from the saudis or the emiratis or whoever it was that gave him two billion dollars i mean that's that i mean chris christie called that like one of the biggest grifts going so again yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have, it's, a, it's the exact right point. He, the swamp does need to be drained. It's yeah, true. Right. He's not wrong. 
No, yeah. it's 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 a legitimate. But By did, the way, yeah. the media did ignore Hunter Biden's laptop. They did. The media sure. learned, you know, during a critical time in the election. Can I give you a, my insight on on that story? Oh, I would love it. Yeah, because I've I've known Hunter Biden for a long time, and I would never hold him up as some exemplar what are you of to ethics. Say, <laughs> no, no, I just mean like I because I, I knew his brother. I knew Bo, so I've oh, known okay. Hunter for a while, and like. Yeah, he is what people think he is. You know, he traded in on his dad's name and made a sure. lot of money doing that and all Very that clear. stuff. Yeah. Um, when that laptop came out, we tried to get it, uh, or at least copies of it, mm-hmm. uh, from Rudy Giuliani, uh, and then, and he wouldn't let us see it. He wouldn't let us see it unless, uh, I believe this is the case, but it was something like we, we first, we have to write about it based on the New York Post story. Mm-hmm. And we're, that's not how journalism works. We need to no, see you're it. in a hole like that. Yeah. And, and so I, I we were really like in a conundrum. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about it. Obviously they could exist. We're not ignoring it, but like, how are we supposed to report on the contents of it? If Rudy Giuliani will not share the contents with us. Mm-hmm. And so that was the situation we were in. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Okay, let's go to the next point here. Okay, Mar-a-Lago. And the classified documents, because a lot of people said, well, other people have had classified documents, you know, not like this. That's true, but not like this. Yeah. So let's talk about what's the distinction. Why is Trump's um, holding of these documents different? And why does it require this type of uh, like, why is it not just a slap on the hand? He's former president and everything like you would think it's like if politics weren't involved in my mind, I would say, did they get the documents back? Okay, slap on the hand, blah, blah, blah. Why is there a big thing going on here what did it he would do have been was- a slap in the hand it wouldn't have even been a slap in the hand if he had given right. them back right if he had given them back then there never would have been a prosecution i am convinced mm-hmm. so look first of all there is let's just start with the basic premise that there is an overclassification problem right in the united states mm-hmm. too many things are classified and they shouldn't be and that's affecting democrats affecting republicans that this is a real problem okay, okay. beyond that it does happen that people have had classified documents in unsecure uh, venues. Hillary Clinton on her email server had classified stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and other people have Joe Biden, some stuff popped up that they told the Biden people told the national archives, we have this and they came and did a search. Right. Uh, Mike Pence, same thing. Pence they found said. some classified information I think he's been cleared in that. So it, it does happen and, yeah. and it can be sloppiness or it can be sure. uh, an accident. Um, this was boxes and boxes <laughs> and boxes of material and uh, multiple times yeah. he was told that he, that they didn't belong to him. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. had to give it back. 
And not only did he not give it back, he obstructed justice. He hid the, the material from him and talk about not securing it safely. I mean, it was like sitting in boxes mm-hmm. in Mar-a-Lago where we know people have uh, Chinese nationals and others have, have gotten into Mar-a-Lago. It's not that difficult to get into mm-hmm. Mar-a-Lago. So that's it. I think if he had just turned it over, uh, then that would have been that. Mm-hmm. I really do think that there's also, you know, some suggestion that he showed it to people improperly. Yeah. With the, the recordings and all that, those are right. crazy. Yeah. So, but I don't think this is as serious a charge as the January 6th one. I think the January 6th case is the most serious because it gets at, the, at fundamentally what's um, special about America and that's democracy and the, and the rest. Yeah. This one seems almost like a boasty thing that, you know, Trump likes to boast of how important he is, you know, the showing it to people and all that kind of stuff. I think it's the I think it's the refusal to abide by the law that yeah. is, you know, it's just like, no, you can't have them. They're mine. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this because we were trying to we were talking about why did he do this? <laughs> yeah, you can't have them. They're and mine. Stephanie Grisham, <laughs> who was uh, who worked in the Trump White House, said that she thought it was just like a little boy thing. Like, yeah, they're mine. You can't have them. Uh, Michael Cohen said he thought that. Trump probably was going to try to figure out a way to to leverage them for money or power in some way. But there's no evidence to that. That's just mm-hmm. his theory. I kind of side with Stephanie because this is a story that nobody, the very few people remember, but it broke in like the fall of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to do with when Trump went to France in 2018. Mm-hmm. And if you Google it, you can find it. But he's walking around the French ambassador. I'm sorry, the U.S. ambassador's residence in Paris mm-hmm. and telling aides, oh, that painting, uh, let's bring it back with us. This bust of Ben Franklin, let's bring it back with us. And he took a bunch of stuff to the White House uh, that, you know, that had been at the French ambassador, the U.S. ambassador's residence in France for Decade. Is this that trip where he called the 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 dead yes. soldiers losers? Yes. Okay. Losers and suckers. Right. Yes. Okay. So I remember that was the headline. So I that don't was the, that this was part. yeah. But that tri- but that that those headlines came out around that time. Okay. These headlines came out two years later about uh, that trip, and okay, all and, and at the end of the day, everything was returned to the uh, ambassador's residence. But it is this thing of this is mine. This right. is mine. This is mine. One of the funny things is that one of the portraits he took of Ben Franklin was actually a copy because back then, you know, in the 1700s, 1800s, they would do multiple copies so that people could have, you know, lots of people. But the original was already at the White House. He already. But I mean, there is a mine, mine, mine kind of thing about him. Yeah, I feel like Trump, like if he's ever convicted under the Sedition Act or something, to me, it's it's. Treason for appreciation for attention, you know, Yeah. like the whole thing he did, I think it was Helsinki with Putin, where he's throwing the CIA under the bus right. to, so he could get a soccer ball from Putin. Right. You know, like that meant, so, you know, like a child It's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know. Well, I think he really does think, the, think of the world in terms of uh, these people. You're either with me or you're against me. And mm-hmm. if you're not with me automatically you're against me. So that's why even on occasion he'll go after Fox because they're like, um, right. you know, they're, they're being nice to DeSantis or whatever, you know, and they'll, it, it's just, it's a very Manichaean w- view of the world where you just like, 
everybody who likes me is good and everybody who hates me is bad. Mm-hmm. It's not even that. It's everybody who likes me is good and everyone else is bad. Everyone who likes me is good for now. Right. Until they <laughs> express one, one reservation for anything. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So a third one is, I'll get to this very quickly, is this one is from Georgia directly against the president. About this hasn't happened did. yet. But yeah, oh, this one hasn't happened yet. Okay. No, the Fonnie Willis, the district attorney of Fulton County, which is Atlanta, that could, that could happen any moment. Okay. Um, that there, there is, we expect that she will indict him and others in the attempt to subvert just the election in Georgia. Oh, I so see. So I think that the fake electors, Trump, right. other people will probably be indicted. The other case you're thinking about is New York. The New York attorney general, uh, Alvin Bragg, uh, has brought a case that not a lot of legal experts think is particularly strong. Is that the Stormy Daniels one? Yeah, that's for falsifying business records for yeah, hiding. Me, that's like that's like normal crooked politician stuff to me. Right. <laughs> you know, that's that's like you know, any, any crooked politician would do that type of thing. I'm not interested in that. You know, you know, what's so weird to me about that is that, uh, it was $125,000, which when you think about it, like is not really that much money given how outsized this is in the role of American politics. Is this all just because like Michael Cohen wrote wrote her a check Mm -hmm. and, uh, don't they have that kind of cash? Well, Trump, Trump is cheap. He's so cheap, you know, like he stiffs workers in that totally. kind of thing all the time, you know? Yeah. But I'm not even talking about does, does Donald Trump have a, uh, you know, I get that he's cheap or whatever, but like they'd agreed upon the figure, $125,000. You would think a Michael Cohen type would have like a pillow and he <laughs> right, would just like take cash. a knife to it exactly. and like bring out the money and just hand it over to Stormy Daniels. Cause they have all that. Ca- I mean, they must pay a lot of, he's a New York builder. They must pay a lot of people in cash, right? I mean. Absolutely. But maybe, but they're just not that smart too, you know? Uh, that's why I never believed the Machiavellian, Bellian theories about Trump. I'm like, guys, he's, he's kind of dumb. He's not really that smart. You know, he's not smart enough to really be involved with Russia to steal an election. I never thought that, you know, uh, I don't think Russia would put all their, you know, <laughs> everything they had and trust Trump in some, you know, Machiavellian scheme to steal the election. That's another reason, by the way, why um, I think, you know, Trump has uh, an argument to make where, you, as you say, he's he's not wrong, but he's far from right. Right. Is uh, a lot of that was bullshit. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of that Russia stuff was bullshit that completely that um, started with like, FBI people just asking questions. Just a question. And and a lot of and some Democrats overhyping it right. uh, specifically. And not only that, but remember, we didn't know that the Clinton campaign had actually played the role in funding the Steele dossier. They didn't own up to that for months. Yeah. Months and months and months. The Steele dossier, like the existence of it, uh broke uh, in like the f- before the election of six, mm-hmm. 16. And then we at CNN, we reported when they like, when the intelligence heads briefed Trump about it in January, 2017, we didn't find out till like August that the Clinton people had paid for it. Right. That is some shady shit. And it, it appealed to conspiracy theories for people on the left, you know, of yes. 
of what Trump might be hiding. Or they thought that like he was li- literally a Manchurian <laughs> candidate. <laughs> yes, exactly. That he'd been that he'd been groomed exactly since he went over there in 1982, and I mean, just wild stuff. What people forget about Trump is because he's so hated right now because he's in politics. Is he was very much liked before that? Because Trump, he's basically a grifter who, you know, the way that he grifts is he glad hands and pat yeah. you on the back and all that. He stuff. was a pleaser. And he was very good at it. In fact, hip hop culture loved Trump, you know, sure. for all that and everything. So he wasn't really hated at all, you know. And hey, so Hillary, Hillary, and Bill Clinton were at his wedding to Melania. Exactly. Exactly. So that transformation happened pretty quick and it was politics that did it. So that's, I'm always suspicious about those things, you know, and I never, you know, had sympathy for him or supported him, but I always thought like my, the way that I view how the left and the right do things, I I think the left always takes things too far. That's my criticism of the left. They can, they can never take yes for an answer. They have to, you know, they have to take things to the extreme and the right to me just makes shit up. Like that's, that's what they do. They just, they just make shit up just out of the blue and yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. They just go with it, you know? And that's what I think happened there, you know? Um, yeah. But it is interesting. So let me ask you this is, do you think, cause a lot of people that don't like Trump, of course, want to see this happen. Um, do you think he'll actually go to prison? No. I mean, who knows? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I don't actually know, but I find it hard to imagine. And even if he is convicted, it would be so unprecedented. I could see some sort of like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. stays at home kind of thing, home, home detention kind of thing. But, uh, you know, <laughs> home I mean, what detention for Trump. What's it called? Uh, you know what home I mean. arrest, house arrest, house yeah. arrest. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. that to me is like, but again, I don't know. I, I have, we're in such uncharted waters right now. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think. I don't think Bragg's case is particularly strong. Right. Uh, and the other cases, I don't know. Um, okay. Is there anything in the constitution that says that someone from prison can't be president? No, not at all. This is, this is what I'm saying. Jake. We, this may be an incredible election. We may actually have someone making his inaugural address from behind well, prison bars. Well, that, but, but, but then, but then, he would, Woo. but then he would, I mean, first of all, if that were to happen, it's so crazy that we're even talking about yes. this, but Jake, I might have to vote for him if this is the case. <laughs> well, the thing is this, it is entirely possible. It's if he wins right. the nomination and then the election, he's going to um, win the nomination. Yeah, probably. Right. But if he wins the nomination and the election, um, you know, obviously all the cases go away. I mean, the federal cases go away. Why? Because he would just pardon himself or assign the, the attorney general. Oh, if he wins the election. Okay. If he wins the election. Although the state, the state cases, he, he can't do that too. So New York and Georgia, who knows? Interesting. So there is a master plan here. Well, that is his best chance to get out of this trouble. Is to win. Is to to become president. Yeah. That's, that is the best. That is his best strategy to get rid of this stuff because the evidence is pretty strong. I mean, even attorney general Barr, who was a Trump loyalist, very critical of the first impeachment, very critical of the Russia investigation, et cetera. He said about the classified documents case, if even half of it is true, he's toast. 
And then he was very critical of Trump the other night on CNN with Caitlin Collins talking about this new case, although he did say he still would vote for him. Of course. They always say that shit. Those motherfuckers. Right. Uh, excuse me. Okay. One last question. I appreciate you being here, Jake. So great talking to you. You know, it I, is. I feel like we're just hanging out and it's so great. Um, everything else, forget about all this stuff. Because uh, I have no answer for this shit. I had a prediction before, but th- that turned out to be wrong. I thought DeSantis would do better, but I had not really seen his personality in front of people. And I think that's, that's really just kind of doomed him. You know, he's just, he's gotten zero. He's not as glad handily as, uh, he's not a good politician. I thought he'd yeah. be a better, I thought he'd be more glad handily. No, yeah. that's it. I wouldn't write him off. I mean, he, he did win reelection in Florida with 60% of the vote. And, you know, he's still in second place in a lot of these polls and yeah, he's just not who knows what's going to happen. He's still, you know, smart, veteran, beautiful yeah. wife, all that stuff. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I think a lot of people thought he would be uh, more. I thought he'd be more accessible, have something people can glom onto that isn't politics, like his personality a little bit more or something. Charming. Yes, maybe? exactly. No, you're right. Jake, those things, I've talked about this many, many times. It shouldn't so, matter, but it does matter. Many times the funniest candidate becomes president, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> or the most charming one. And you could go through, I mean, the last 50 years and it's the case, you know. Trump and whatever people say about Trump, he he has a charm. He has a charisma. His fans love him. Now, I, I get that a lot of listeners might think he's evil and all that, but like, right. we're just, I'm not talking about whether he should be president. I'm just saying like, he does have a charm and a charisma and if right. you, and a sense of humor. And if you, if you can't see that, then you can't see why he continues to do well, because right. a lot of it is, there was a great column by David French about this in the New York times, mm-hmm. what a lot of people on the left and the DeSantis campaign in his view miss about Trump and miss about MAGA is it's a club. And a lot of it is fun. Right. A lot exactly. of this enjoyable. Yes. <laughs> Jake, I was just writing a joke. I'm starting to do stand up again, you know, which is a lot of fun. And, and I haven't worked it out yet, but it, the premise of it was guys, I really, 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 really wish I could be a MAGA and vote for Trump. Let me explain. <laughs> yeah. And the premise was that look how much fun they're having. Who has fun voting for, for Biden? Answer zero. Nobody, right. you know, cause I believe a Biden vote isn't, it's still an anti-Trump vote. I really do believe that. Oh, that's sure. A, that's what I was trying to, but a Trump vote is a huge pro Trump vote. By you the know, way, talk about conspiracies. I still have not figured out Joe Biden lost Iowa. Joe yes. Biden lost New Hampshire. He got the endorsement of James Clyburn. Yeah. And he won South Carolina. Okay. And then everybody dropped out and endorsed him except for Bernie. Like within I've like, never seen anything like it. He was dead. We have not, like, there still has yet to be written. And I'm, I, you know, I've tried finding out more about this and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, tr- I'll keep, yeah, keep trying. But like, obviously, the Democratic machine called Buttigieg, Klobuchar, yeah. every one of them and just said, you have to drop out or else it's going to be or else Bernie's going to get the nomination. And And this was an anti-Trump vote. The vote for Biden was completely anti-Trump. So this is my last question for you. Head to head, Biden, Trump. Anti-Trump isn't as strong, I feel, as it was in 2020 because he was president then. So we saw him all the time. And like he, he benefits from being out of the limelight. He benefits being off Twitter. Yeah. Remember, he's back. He's allowed to be back on Twitter. Yeah. 
or and X. he is yeah. and he is not. Yeah, Elon Musk lets him bet back. You know, let him be back on Twitter, and he's not. Yeah. He's on Truth Social, just speaking to his own people. And you could say, oh, maybe he's doing that as a business decision. I don't, I don't yeah, know. It, it's uh, he benefits from people not seeing the reason that they turned against him. Okay, head to head. I don't know. I mean, I got to believe just looking at the polls today that you got to give the advantage to Biden, A, as an incumbent, B, unemployment's so low, and C, and this is maybe the most important, there's a group of voters that I call the double haters. They hate both, <laughs> Bi- they hate both Biden right. and Trump. They hate both of them. And Trump won the double haters in 2016. Mm-hmm. People who didn't yes, like did. either one of them, they just... All right, let's just go with Trump. Because a lot of people hated Hillary. Because they hated Hillary. And there's a whole, we could write books about that. Mm-hmm. But the double haters overwhelmingly today, according to polling, and I don't know what it's going to look like in a year, but today the double haters favored Biden by like a 50 percentage mm, point margin. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, and I have yet to see Trump doing anything to win them or to win the suburban moms outside Philly or to win right. the, the independent voters yeah, uh, in Michigan. People. Like I, what is he doing today to, to win back all the people that liked him, but then thought he went a little nuts and didn't like the racism. He what is he doing people. to win them back? He never, he doesn't care about that. He doesn't chase people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why I, but, but honestly, I would, I would put no money on anything. I wouldn't bet on it. I, I it's mm-hmm. uh, the last, New York Times poll I saw was 43%, 43%. And, uh, you know, if you're an incumbent and you're that under 50%, which Biden is, that's bad news. I think the first thing he does if he's president is he tries to change. I forgot the amendment number where the terms for president, whatever that amendment is, you know. Because he's he's running. He can't just take it off. The states have to. (laughs) I know, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of the constitution is a lot of work, (laughs) but you never know. Jake Tapper, everybody, all the demons are here. It's such a fun read as are the whole trilogy. The series It's so much fun. It's just like you're bathing, like I think contemporaneous history and plots. People might die. Who knows what's going to (laughs) happen? UFOs, all kinds of good stuff. Politics, which I like in there too. Uh, And we love seeing you on the air. Jake Tapper. Thanks so much for being here, Jake. It's so great. You know, the funnest thing about this is just getting to hang out with you for for an hour. This is the man that drank a 40 ounce on my TV show. It's still my best gift. It's still my best gift. It really is. I know. It really is. Next time in person. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks. Good seeing you. See you soon. Bye-bye.